0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjay Gall.
1: Hello, and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. And today's topic, a very important and a timely one, which is delivering on the world health promise. You talk about fighting healthcare inequalities to expanding access to medicine. You talk about stopping infectious diseases to keeping healthcare clean and from preparing for future epidemics to gaining public trust. The World Health Organization and the public health departments worldwide have a critical task at hand. The recent pandemic is showing us that there is a complex journey ahead and there is going to be an unpredictable future. We don't need to be scared, but we need to prepare. So how is WHO, which is the World Health Organization and the national public health departments worldwide working together to make sure that we are making all the resources available and using all the innovative technologies to help deliver on this world health promise? For discussing this, I could not get a better guest. We have Bernardo Mariano, Jr., Chief Information Officer and Director of the Department of Digital Health and Innovation at the World Health Organization. Hey, Bernardo, how are you?
2: Hi, good to be here, Sanjuk, and uh, and a pleasure to be in this forum. Thank you.
1: Beautiful. It's an honor to have you. So without a further delay of any kind, let's get into the main Topic, we have so many different priorities. I'm sure you have more than a busy day and more than a spilling plate with public health initiatives and priorities you deal with. But then here comes the pandemic. How have those challenges that you're dealing with and the initiatives that you're dealing with, how did they get scaled up and were compounded? Since the pandemic was
2: declared over a year ago, we had three phases that we had to deal with. The first phase was focus on the response and try to deal with the pandemic. And the second phase was let's not forget that the, we have other priorities that are not related to the pandemic that are needed also attention. And the third phase, which is the phase we are now, is where we to see how, how did we use the pandemic to accelerate some of the transformations that allowed us to actually move from where we were before the pandemic to where we are now and prepare for the future. So from the perspective of World Health Organization, and especially my role, we had the workforce that needed to be, remain productive during the first phase while dealing with their own family situations and issues and, and health issues. But on the other hand, we had the, the, to deal with the lack of capacity from our side to actually respond to the sudden increase of demand on information systems, on everything that we scaled or we, we, we sized before the pandemic. During the pandemic, we realized that was not enough. And the third was the, all the cybersecurity incidents, hospitals being hacked, WHO being attacked. So to respond to that, on the first, on the first point, in terms of uh, how to support the workforce to remain productive while suffering from the pandemic, families and the and the, and the workforce itself, we basically worked together to 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 ensure that the, as we responded to the pandemic, we created a, a capacity to, for the, all the staff to be able to be productive regardless of where they were, home, office, or traveling. Uh, if they were stuck in, in, a, in a country when the pandemic, when the lockdown started. On the technology side, we leverage a lot on the private sector. Over over 23 companies and 47 work streams came to, to rescue WHO. We created a tech for COVID um, um, uh, platform to ensure that uh, we are able to scale, to ensure that uh, the even the dashboard, let's like think, think about the the whole... The, the, the dashboard that you see in the, on the WHO website, that dashboard before the pandemic was not a great dashboard. And Dr. Tedros used to call me pretty much every day, say, what are we doing for that dashboard? And, and John Hopkins' dashboard was, was way better in the beginning. And our dashboard was well far, far down from, from from where it should be. So we leverage on the pro bono support from private sector to help us to bring our dashboard to where it is today, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's the best, but it was not where it is today. So on the cybersecurity, we were we suffered unprecedented cyber attacks to the point where that if we had to do respond to that alone, actually we wouldn't be able to survive. So we're very grateful for a number of private companies that actually gave us early warnings. A number of uh, computer emergency response teams from countries, at least six countries, gave us information on, on early warning attacks. And also we got a pro bono support to really create the systems to allow us to protect, not only protect the information assets or data assets of WHO, to also help protect the WHO leadership that was under attack on all fronts. So, so all to say that we we had to juggle all these priorities, emergency, and well-being of staff and well-being of the whole world as we navigate to this, this initial phase of the pandemic.
1: So given where you are today, so when this whole thing started, you did not have, as you said, you know the, the systems and the processes in the way uh, they, you, you would have been able to effectively handle what's coming, but then you improvised right? The good news is you're making progress, you're getting there. Yes. But when you look at, say, a holy grail of where you should have been in terms of preparedness, from the systems, from the applications, from the processes, if you were to draw a Delta report, what would that report read like? What is still missing? We are still
2: missing, first of all, an integrated ecosystem that is that is trusted in a way that allow future pandemic to actually have a better response. So today the whole health sector is siloed and it was before the pandemic and it's still not integrated. And that does not help when it comes to a pandemic such as COVID-19 pandemic, because solving a problem in one country, in one neighborhood, in one community, it's not enough. So trusted ecosystem on digital health as we move to digital is key because the role of of systems such as the contact tracing or or health bots, they could actually help a a lot better if they were already as an integral part of public health response and not a, a siloed initiative and a great innovation, but siloed which then the impact was not sufficient. So we have still to do that transition of creating a good siloed system to create an excellent, integrated, interoperable health system.
1: And frankly, what you're saying is absolutely right. And we talk about this integrated systems. It is a worldwide issue, right? Because even at national level, people have tough time with the healthcare integrated systems globally. Yeah. <laughs> so so of course, you know the work is in progress. So now with that said, since you brought up the word trust, my very next question would be around the trust that public wants to place on their respective governments. And then the government's who have to take care of their citizens are in a way looking to, or looking up to WHO to guide them. Now, which means that some information coming from public and inter, you know, exchange of uh, information between public and the governments, and then the aggregated information or even um, identifiable information between governments into WHO is what's going to help us truly build that, you know, holy grail, which you mentioned like an integrated system. And if you were to kind of drill down into it and specifically talk about what kind of information flows or the analytics or the decision-making capabilities, which we need to develop as priority one, because there's, you know, if you come up with a wish list, there could be 20,000 items. But if you had to put the top five or top three, which ones would you like to have in your capacity as WHO to help the rest of the world?
2: There are a couple, I think, let me talk about the top three. But then before that, let me tell you that, I mean, where we come from, right? We come from an environment in the world where in some regions there is a centralized trusted system. I mean, if maybe if you look far east, there is an element of the government sends a message, I trust. You come to part of the world where the the trust to government is is, is, is it's is it, received with the skepticism by part of the community. So, but when it comes to health, I think we all, as a world and human beings, we need to create that ecosystem of trust because otherwise, I mean, we will not get out of this pandemic easily, and the next time we will still repeat the same mistakes we did before. But the top top three areas that I would say we need to work on. One of them is governance. Governance on health data regulations. So how do you monetize, demonetize data? What, What balance do you strike between the monetization of data with the tech giants heavily monetizing on that and the culture of health and life science where donation it's, it's, it's part of the core principle. We donate blood, we donate organs, we don't sell. So how can you bring these perspectives into a digital ecosystem that to create a health data regulation that deal with those issues of open data or a data for for act for, for research and access to ensure that the, all the communities and the whole development is fast-tracked of either vaccine or, or, or therapeutics. The second area is... When you talk about digital health, you are talking about half of the world, because the other half is still not, does still not have access. Forty-seven percent of the world still do not have access to, to to broadband. So we can't just talk about solving a, a, the the issue of digital health for the people that have access to digital. We have to bring the others along. Equity and access is key. Talk about vaccine equity. I mean that's the other area. Not even digital. So until we solve the equity issue, we can't really deal with it. Let me give you an example. This a, today, we talk about this digital vaccination certificate or a vaccination passport. How can you have a passport for, for COVID-19 that allows you to travel all over the world when somebody from Mozambique, like I am from Mozambique, does not have access to vaccine, even though he, wants to, he or she wants to travel? So, yet, in, in addition to that, Lack of vaccine availability across the world will not help solve the problem of the pandemic. So meaning that we need a problem of COVID-19 in a very remote location is a problem for the whole world. It's not just a problem for that location. So, so that's the second area. The third one is what I call the trust ecosystem, which I mentioned before, where today we are developing health bots. Many countries have health bots. We also have health bots that, are, that are, uh, help the pandemic. We, uh, we have, uh, as well as those contact tracing, we need a trusted, global trusted ecosystem similar to the financial sector. Because when you are, I mean, if you look at the digital transformation on the financial sector, 20 years ago, any transaction you wanted to do, you had to go to a branch. You know, if you want to transfer money abroad, you had to go to a branch. Today, you don't have to do that. There's a digital transformation of that sector, but it created a trusted uh, ecosystem that allows anyone to actually uh, have the ability to transact from a mobile phone or other, other digital device. But still, we need to solve the equity issue. So let's not forget that.
1: Now, we know that there is an issue with uncertainty that we are finding. And we also spoke about, okay, where we should go as a world. And and for that, we are taking the steps. But people don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So take the case of what's happening in India right now, and then Brazil and other places, right? So it looks like a moving target. And when you're looking at moving target, and at the same time, you are trying to, you know, almost trying to change the tires of a moving car. What challenges do you face today as you're trying to do it? And is it reasonable for us to try to become future ready when we do not have our crisis in control yet? That's number one question. And number two, that if you want to do it the right way, to what degree are we exploiting the various technology innovations and the scale of computing available to us? Let me take the
2: analogy of a moving car that you need to change tires. If I'm driving alone in that car and I want to change those four tires as the car moves, it's impossible. But if I have a 1,000 people with me, I might be able to do... Actually, I'll be able to change the tires, the four tires of that car while the car keeps moving. All to say that the ability for us to collaborate cut across sectors that normally, traditionally, and in the prior to the pandemic, they were not collaborating. Me- meaning, how can we bring the brains of the private sector, public sector, academia, civil society, to really deliver the best? That's where, That's where we need to change from where we used to work before and operate to how we should operate to make sure that we really address the pandemic and we really learn from it And we create tools and mechanisms to ensure that uh, predictive modeling uh, for the future pandemic works as well as it works. For instance, when you predict weather forecasts, because can you imagine today we are able to? to, We're not able to, to create these predictive models that are out there where the weather and on the weather forecast we we are doing much better work, much better work on on that. So which would help a lot when it comes to disease and disease surveillance.
1: So the way you responded to this question is very good because you are painting a picture that these are the some of the things which we can do. Now, the question here is the stakes are way too high for us to wait for things to settle down for us to then find a a, so-called stable, snapshot of the times, and then we start these initiatives. That means these have to start, and to your point about having 1,000 people sitting in the car so you can change the tires of a moving car, that's actually possible today because the whole world is suffering. whole world needs to change the tires of a moving car, and I'm assuming that they are also stepping up, but without a coordinated effort and without a well-thought-out strategy they might take off the tires, but they would not put all the tires back. Some other accident can happen if it is not done properly. So what is the current state of people coming together, but not just overzealous people who are firing and then aiming? What is the current state of affairs in this idea where you're truly exploiting what's available, what resources, technology, scale of computing, and make this happen? I mean, the... the this, today, the status
2: is still work in progress, meaning that uh, we still look at uh, the sectors that we don't normally work with with some suspicion, or we don't understand the language, or the pace is different, and of course, frustration can be can be built. Uh, I always say that it's very easy for you to do uh, deliver something when you have to do it alone and you don't depend on anyone, but. Uh, the, the reach and the impact of what you deliver is much smaller when you, compared to if you work together. So to today's state of affairs is such that, that, that uh, we are that World Health Organization, we are, we are bringing the private sector, academia, uh, civil society to try to be part of the discussion on how we can change this, the, the way we operate today, how we can leverage on each other's capacity to deliver a better world and better well-being on health side. So, But we need to do better because the COVID-19 pandemic is not just a health crisis. It's a social crisis. It's an economic crisis. And we still need to cut across, not just within this health sector that is siloed, but reach out to the social and economic sectors to say, how can we come together to understand that the uh, if a, a politician has to take a decision on lockdown where that impact of a lockdown means somebody does not have bread to, to, to eat the next day because people live on day-to-day uh, um, um, incomes. So how can we come together to create the best decision that would actually take in consideration situations such as the ones in many developing countries? Because a lockdown has social economic impact. In some countries, it has political impact as well. So, but... We need to have this platform where we can openly talk about these issues to be able to find the right and the best solution. So we are not there yet. We are progressing, but we're not there yet.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Bernardo, when we come back, while we spoke about technology, but that would be like jumping the gun because the underlying processes, the supply chain, The research, communications, collaboration, all of that has to happen. I know some of those are implemented using technology, but coming back to the very underlying processes, the workflows, don't we have to rethink them? Don't we have to reimagine them? Learning and based on the learning what we got from dealing with this pandemic. And then we say, okay, let's slap some good, cool technology on it. But are we fundamentally trying to think in terms of reimagining or we are saying where there is way too much going on put together something quick and dirty and let's get away with it for now and then we'll think about fundamentally you know what we call as creative destruction destroying it so that something new better could be put in place where are we with it and what are we facing as a consequence of that please stay tuned listeners we'll be right back
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global .com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So, Bernardo, while we are talking about technology, but it could only be as effective as the quality and refined level of the processes that we may have in place or the ones which we are reimagining. But is there an actual effort in fundamentally relooking at the processes that you may be using, starting from research to supply chain to communication, to collaboration for public health to really become robust and resilient to tackle this particular crisis that we have and other ones that may be flaring up or may flare up in the future?
2: The pandemic has actually taught us how to actually look at the, re-look really at the, how we work with the governments and how we look at the research, how we look at the, Clinical trials, for instance. So we create we had to actually recreate new ways of uh, of, of of engaging with private sector countries to fast track clinical trials. You know, this is it was a record breaking development of a vaccine. So that's that shows that the government and WHO had to work together to, to deliver that. We also had a promise that okay, we will have all we all make sure that the the vaccine, the distribution equity follows follows a certain pattern. We have the the COVAX initiative that to ensure that the, not only the rich countries get the vaccine first, but the people that need, even if they are in poor countries or at least in low-income countries, have access to the vaccine. But when it comes down to the reality, once the vaccine was available and the supply chains were not sufficient, I think we didn't see as the initial reaction was was we didn't see as much collaboration as we were expected to see. Of course, it picked up now. I think right now it's it's much better than the the way it was four months ago. And we hope to see this improving because, as I said before, COVID-19 in Mozambique, where I I come from, if that is not addressed and resolved there, it's not going to stay in Mozambique. It's going to spread across the world. And not only that, the race is not just about the, the variant that it currently but the vaccines are able to actually deal with. But the development of new variants, that, are, that that's the other race, right? It's not just to deal with COVID-19 because I, my population is safe because I have a vaccine. But I think there's also this element of not just focus on vaccine, there's all the other public health measures. But we also have to not forget the, the therapeutics. I mean, it's a combination of vaccine, therapeutics, and public health measures such as masks and, and social distance that, that will actually help us to address that. And the technology can support that in such a way that, that, that can provide the visibility to decision makers, policymakers to see where are the gaps, where we should invest, and what the curve will look like if we do not apply A, B, C, D measure that to to help curb the, the, the infection rates or even reappearance of new variants. Because from the one year and plus that we have been in this pandemic, I think we have already, or you should, from a technology perspective, create models that shows not just how the infection goes, but also where how the variants are coming across in such a way that then we start looking at what we need to do to invest on vaccines, what we need to do to uh, access trials, what type of data on genomics that we need to put together to ensure that we have a a much faster response. So from nations, we hope that this collaboration, and we expect that the collaboration with WHO, but across nations, takes us to the next level compared to where we were before, but also addresses these horizontal issues of health, social, political, and, and economic impact.
1: So as you mentioned that there is a lot of learning from this pandemic and people are building models to understand you know, how the variants are coming up and how do you deal with things. How much of that is still in experimentation or a laboratory stage? Or how much of it would you say is compared to people having implemented it and seeing the benefits of technology? Because when we say we can get things done in second, we can do any amount of computing in a matter of few fractions of a second. With all of that available, what we are learning, are we able to implement and actually make a dent in this task of dealing with the pandemic we have in hand or are we only talking in context of, oh, when the future pandemic comes, we will be more than prepared?
2: I think we have a number of use cases where this is is happening because of the impact of the the economic impact and the political impact of the pandemic. We see the acceleration of that, the combination of the tech giants working with governments and, 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 and with us as well to leverage the power, the computing power to address some of the, the needs today. But I think we, we need to start to think about how much, I mean, this, the private sector drive for profitability is, is leaning on, on the crisis itself to increase that profitability. And that's where The global public goods, the intellectual property issues, needs to be addressed, and that's the call. I mean, the doctor Tedros mentioned that we need perhaps to have a vaccine that is does not have intellectual property. Any country that has capability to develop the vaccine, to actually produce a vaccine, should be able to produce. Because the absence of that, we will be in. After the pandemic, first of all, we'll be in a social, political, economical crisis for for the next twelve months or twenty-four months. But think about the recession after that. So, 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 so the crisis might actually turn from health, social, economic, and political to another huge economic crisis if we don't use the power of each one of us to bring the best and sometimes lower that, that. target of a profitability to ensure that the world is healthy.
1: Now, one is to, you know, uh, as you, you're appealing in your responses, that the private corporations should step up and then the nations should step up. The government, different departments and healthcare leaders should step up. If you had to paint an ideal state where private sector is doing what they're supposed to do and, National healthcare systems are doing what they're supposed to do. National policymakers, what they're supposed to do, which would allow you in your role and your your group, the the business side of or the the organizational side of WHO, to work the best they can. What would that ideal responsibility, roles, and expectations that you would like to put in place? Almost like you're putting out a playbook for. A world in front of us which will stay healthy, come one or come may multiple pandemics. What would that look like?
2: It would look like a place and a world where this siloed approach is, doesn't exist, meaning that technologies such as telehealth and telemedicine, that is very mature, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an innovation. It's, it has matured already. Can, can be fully leveraged because we are talking here about the pandemic. But let's not forget non-communicable people that are suffering from non-communicable diseases because of the pressure of health systems. They couldn't actually access hospitals, clinics because these they were they were busy responding to to the to the increased number of, of patients. We saw it in Europe and in is happening now in India. So we're talking about. People that are suffering from, from COVID-19, but we also have those that are hypertension, heart disease, that cannot access those medical facilities. So we have the power of the technology on tele- telemedicine. The appeal is let's remove the policy or let's remove the, the protectionism around policies that would allow, for instance, a medical doctor sitting in Spain to treat a patient sitting in Switzerland or a medical doctor sitting in India treating a patient sitting in Mozambique. And that is not a technology problem. It's policy governance around that 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 needs to change. To make sure that the same transformation that happened in the tech industry where the computing power is leveraged across where the cloud was created to, to leverage a global computing power, we need to leverage the global health practitioners power to deliver health for i'm just giving you one example but I, then i can go to the power of artificial intelligence and i can go the power of 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 creating using blockchain for for supply chain to to track the falsified medicines and making sure that the people get the the medicine that they need and they don't fall into the trap of consuming falsified medicine so i can go into many other areas but just looking at those ones that are not even emerging from the frontier technology side of things such as artificial intelligence, looking at the ones that are already mature. So we still have work to do there and breaking the silos of health, creating a trusted ecosystem, ensuring that, uh, that uh, the protection mechanism that we have around the policies and, and over-regulation that some countries or most countries have around the practice of health For professionals, I think we need to change the narrative, and together with the member states using the World Health Assembly, those discussions are taking place. We have released the global strategy on digital health, that they have some of these targets there. We want to make sure that those targets are fulfilled, to ensure that the digital transformation of health is one that is done way better than many other sectors, including, for instance, social media, where we we saw the the social media bringing the infodemics. So as we fight the pandemic, we are fighting infodemic. So therefore we have the obligation as humans to take health at the core of what we do because the impact that the pandemic showed has has been, has been very great. So therefore we need to do better.
1: Let's take a quick break listeners. We'll be right back and let us talk about risk. So, Bernardo, you did mention about the security, the hospitals getting hacked, et cetera. And those are, yes, those incidents were likely to happen. And there is nothing called perfect security either. So that means we have to have some sort of a positioning or a risk tolerance metric that we have to put together because there are way too many moving parts for you to seek perfection. So what would that look like for WHO, and all the nations who are participating, which I'm assuming all of us are, uh, in, in, in dealing with this pandemic and even preparing for what could come next, what should be their risk posture and how do we invest in risk because there's a cost attached to it so that while it is just about enough to handle risk, but it should not cannibalize on taking care of the very people who we are working to help save. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall.
1: Now back to the show. Welcome back. Let's talk risk, Bernardo. We know we have risks in running our operations, using technology, fundamentally shifting the way we used to operate in the when the business was going on or life was going on as usual. But we need to have a, 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 a stable and a thought-out approach. How do we handle risk and also control the cost because because of the panic, we could overspend, which could cut into the very budgets we need for taking care of people's lives. But if we underspend, we are creating short-term, mid-term, and long-term issues for everyone involved. So what is your positioning? What is WHO's positioning and what you've seen nations doing regarding risk management?
2: From risk management perspective, we have seen the the amount of uh, work that has been done in the past one year around that. So as I mentioned, the cybersecurity was an area that we that we had to really bring about the, and enhance the, the risks and enhance the, the, the protection to, to towards these risks. But I think, as you rightly said, we can indeed invest on risks more than what we should. And then every investment on risks can also penalize or reduce the investment on people, but let me start by a message to the hackers and those who either monetize on those in having on these activities that create risks in areas that we shouldn 't have such as hospitals and healthcare systems please 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 if you have profit out of that and that profit is at the expense of a world that is sick, where will you enjoy that? If the whole world is sick and you are making profit out of it, where will you enjoy and how will you enjoy in, with a peace of mind that because of you as a hacker or, or somebody that operates and monetizes on that, I mean, the whole world is suffering. Now, a message to the whole, to states, Many states have the agencies that deal with the cybersecurity look at, uh, at, uh, at uh, invest on tools and, re- and to ensure that the systems are protected, data is protected, and public health systems are protected. If countries work alone, we'll never beat the other side. The, the perpetrators or the, that really work well together talk about the dark web. It's not one person. It's a whole community. So it needs the community of governments and the community of practitioners to work together to deal with that because alone, you can't make it. Now, to balance between investment and risks, uh, to mitigate risks and investment to increase, improve health outcomes, the, the example I wanted to give is is what we we've seen until recently today health systems is status in many countries is a result of lack of it in enough sufficient investments because investments were going to you know military uh, I mean the army and the and the and the, and the, and, and, and the security and and and, and, po- and politics but we need to see increased investment in health. So the ministers of Health of countries should have their budgets, in my view, substantially increased because the pandemic is showing that not investing sufficiently, it impacts everyone. It impacts all sectors. So let's make sure that, uh, and then from a WHO perspective, we want to appeal to countries to governments to shift and make sure that they invest in health and they appeal to hackers and those who actually practice those activities to stay, to, 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 to appeal to them to say, actually you are riding in, into a, a, an activity that keeps the world much sicker than today. So please stop it.
1: Great message, uh, Bernardo. Now let's talk about the very people you know you are a leader your your leadership at who and and different nations and private sector no matter who which organization you talk about the leaders are there and they are very important and we will touch the part of leadership but then we need to talk about the very people who are working alongside you to make things happen they themselves could be having personal and family health issues and other panics and, and uh, challenges that they're dealing with on a daily basis. So yes, the, the corporate world and even government departments have become more considerate and they're looking at the way we are handling people. But then besides that so-called moral support, what else needs to happen for these very people to become effective and impact the cause that you're after? You cannot give someone a race car and not give them the proper gear and the right type of physical and mental ability to drive that race car. What are you guys doing? Let me talk about uh, perhaps the
2: uh, capacity building where, so from our perspective, having a tool is one, but creating capacity to actually use the tool is, is as important as having the tool. So when I talk about digital health, if I go to Minister of Health in some of the countries in, in, in Africa, I mean, from the leadership perspective, the understanding of the power of, of digital health needs to be enhanced. So the policymakers we are working when we have the WHO Academy that we just created to to bring this, the knowledge the, the, and, and, and the competencies that are required for policymakers, practitioners, people, and patience to really leverage on technology to bring about the change that we need to see. But from the leadership perspective, there is of course the short and immediate need to address the pandemic, but there's the long-term need to make sure that the world, be it at subnational, national national, regional, or global level where we work together with the 194 member states of WHO, we all share a common vision. We have the Sustainable Development Goals now that were, they were agreed by all of us. They were, by 2030, we want to see health for all. So how are we using these goals and then measuring the progress and then making the right investments in the right areas to see that progress moving to, to the right direction? So from the WHO perspective, we, 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 as, a, as an organization, we, there's the whole transformation to change the culture, to be more results-focused, then to measure progress. It's, I think that I, today I heard a quote from Dr. Terzis that says, if you want to, to make progress, you have to measure progress. So we need to, from the leadership perspective, to measure the progress that we are making. And if we're not making progress and the causes that is is preventing us from doing so. Of course, when you talk about low and middle income countries, there's always the balance between the needs in other areas, foods, food security, for instance, versus uh, health. But without a healthy population, no matter how poor or rich one is, health is fundamental to us to achieve all the sustainable development goals for that we we set to ourselves by 2030.
1: So one is what leaders are supposed to do on the ground, working with the team, setting some policies, etc. But let's talk about the very concept of leadership and that very mindset a leader needs to embrace, whether it is a WHO leader or a corporate leader or a you know government leader, so that there is an inherent connection and an alignment of the mindset and the approaches to thinking and solving problems and the way we collaborate. And this brings both the business and technology leaders. So the outcome of all of this effort on multiple fronts, on a rather complex project for today and for tomorrow, it brings the absolute best outcome. So what would you say is the mindset and a style all of these folks should embrace, including yourself?
2: Let me tell you about a dream, perhaps, my dream. I was talking two days ago with one of the leaders from one of the U.N.A. agents and I said, you can have $1 billion from a person, one high-net-worth individual, or you can have one billion dollars from one billion people. And if I have to choose between the two, the second is better. Meaning we all have the responsibility to bring to the table a little bit of us to create that um, movement that will actually trigger changes in how we deal with health. Because that's, this pandemic has shown that uh, we need to work together. So. All of us need to bring something to the table and that something can be the little bit based on our capacity, but could be a lot because we have a lot to give. But the, the power of that togetherness, the power of that collaboration that Dr. Tedros repeats a lot in, the, in his speeches, is very key for us to make sure that the, when we come next time, or even as we work out of this pandemic, to make sure that we deliver on the promise of better health, better well-being for everyone, including those ones that are in very remote areas, in forgotten communities, in low-income countries, because health problems is not a problem for one region. I think we learned 10 years ago during 9-11 that a A war in a country as far as Afghanistan doesn't mean no trouble for a country as far as from Afghanistan as the US. So the pandemic is showing that a, a virus outbreak in a country as far as China doesn't mean no problem for a country as far as the US. So all to say that we need to work together and that togetherness is not just together, because I'm saying it's just a word, it's truly together to ensure that we do better next time we have similar situation. Or we control and we monitor, we predict the pandemic in such a way that the impact is much lower than now. So we need to work together because together we can.
1: It was just a phenomenal conversation with you, Bernardo. Thank you so much again for sharing your insights and your views on how we can all work together to deliver on this world health promise. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Sanju.
1: And listeners, hope you enjoyed a lot of nuggets here, a lot of things to think about as individuals, as leaders, as nations, as groups who are trying to fight this pandemic. So please like us on different social media, join us on our podcast so more people benefit. And once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless.